Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we continue our series, Practicing the Way of Jesus, as we look at our first practice of silence and solitude. We see that this was a regular practice in the life of Jesus and was woven into the very fabric of who he was as he modeled what it meant to be a human. This is one of the most elusive practices as we consider our culture of immediate, hurry, and noisy. But if we have any hope to find stillness for our soul, it is through the rhythm of silence and solitude. Follow along as we explore how to begin these practices in our lives. We hope you enjoyed this message. Amen. Please be seated. And let me for a second round welcome you to Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry. Uh, if, if you don't know me, if it's your first time here, first time in a while, my name is Matt Densky. I'm the student ministry Pastor here at Fellowship, I serve with an amazing group of people that just have a heart for you guys, for students, and we desire to see you guys encounter Jesus in a life-changing way. And so I wanna welcome you tonight. Thank you for being here, let you know that you are loved and you belong, and also just kind of uh, bring us up to speed with where we've been at over the past few weeks. We have begun a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. And if you were here last week, we kind of introduced uh, one of one of Jesus' most famous teachings. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is teaching and he is explaining part of the agenda of why he has come. And he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And, uh, or, or another translation of that is, those who believe in me will have life abundantly, life to the fullest. Uh, that's out of John 10.10. 10. Guys, I think we have that slide. If we could throw that up there, please, that'd be awesome. There it is, John 10.10. 10. Oh, kind of hard to read there. We'll get, it. we'll get it all worked out here in a minute. But Jesus says, I've come to give life to the fullest. And there's a little bit of a tension point here uh, as we discovered last week because we read this verse and here's Jesus claiming to offer life. Life better than any way that we could design it. Life better than anything that we could come up with or comprehend. Life the way that God has always intended for his people to experience. Not just when we die, like that's easy to say. Like, oh, I know, like if I believe in Jesus, when I die, I'm gonna go to heaven and it's gonna be great there. No, I'm not talking about eternity. I'm talking about in the here and now, Jesus made this radical claim that I am offering life to the fullest possible extent through faith in me. And if we think about this for a minute, that the creator of the cosmos, like the creator of every star and every planet, of every galaxy, the creator of our planet and our lives, that God himself who took on human form and then lived that life to its fullest potential as a human, if, if, if we're believing that 2,000 years ago, God put on flesh and lived life to the fullest human extent, knowing all the possibilities of how to live life, and makes this claim that through faith in me, you can live life to the fullest as well, then we run into a little bit of a tension point. Because as we looked at last week, a lot of us are like, dude, I don't feel like I'm living the best life. I don't feel like I'm living life to the fullest. In fact, if anything, I, I, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm worked up, I, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about how, how others think of me. Do they like me? Do they talk about me when I'm not around? I'm, I'm bogged down by anxiety. I'm, I'm turning what ifs into what is. I feel lonely. I feel depressed. I feel sad. I don't feel joy. I don't know my purpose in life. I don't know my worth. I try to find my identity and all sorts of things. I've got a terrible track record for relationships. I can't seem to work my life out. I don't even know where I'm going after high school, bro. I, I don't feel like I am experiencing life to the fullest. For a lot of us in this room, we look at this verse and we're like, Jesus, I believe in you, 
and yet I don't feel like I'm experiencing the life you offer. So there is a rub, there's a tension point. But we discovered last week, we discovered last week that we will, we will never experience the life Jesus offers unless we embrace the lifestyle that Jesus modeled. Like if you look in the gospels and you look at these invitations from Jesus to follow him, they were never just cerebral uh, postures. In other words, it wasn't like, hey, believe in me, think that I'm real, believe that I exist and you will experience the best life possible. As long as you believe it here, you're gonna have the best life. That is not the invitation of Jesus. And yet that's what we've kind of turned Christianity into. As long as I believe the right things and maybe go to church once a week, I'll have the best life. And guys, we discovered last week, the invitation from Jesus to us as his followers is not just to believe in him with our minds here, but to actually embrace belief in him through adopting his lifestyle. It, it, it's, it's an entire posture of life. We will never experience the life Jesus offers until we embrace the lifestyle Jesus modeled, which means if your faith runs out at believing Jesus is real, but you never actually apply the life he modeled, you will be missing out on that life. And of course, you're gonna feel like, dude, I'm not experiencing the best. Something's wrong, something's missing, of course. If all your faith is is belief here, but never application here and in your life, Yes, you will fill a rub. And we talked about all that last week. So let me break it down in a different way. We're gonna keep coming at this from different angles because I think this is so significant. Um, <clears throat> and our, our heart is that we would all experience the life Jesus offers in this life. Like it's not just, yeah, wait till you die and go to heaven. It's this life. We can experience this amazing abundant life that Jesus claims to offer. So we're gonna keep coming at it from different angles. So I wanna uh, start with a story tonight. Some of you guys know this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, say this story and keep it pretty short and sweet. In 2000, bless you, sister, sister Lowry. Lord, we pray you would anoint her. In 2010 and 2011, in the summers of 2010 and in 2011, who sneezed again? Oh, Man, Larry, let us know if you need anointing with oil. I'd be happy to, I think we got some Crisco in the back and lay it on. I got some cheese. Okay, cool. Got some cheese, the holy, the holy cheese. Uh, in the summers of 2010 and 2011, some friends of mine and I decided we wanted to embark on a, oh my gosh, bless you. Let's, hey guys, I'm gonna pause my sermon. Let's just get them out of the way right now. If you have to sneeze, go ahead, tell your body, go ahead, it's all right on command, just prompt, just convince yourself. Take a whiff of pepper if you need to. Go ahead and get it going. All right, we all good? I'm giving you our time, Levi. All right, here we go. Thank you. In the summer of 2010 and the summer of 2011, some friends of mine and I decided we wanted to embark on a, kind of a grand adventure. And it was just a random idea at first and it, it manifested into something more. But we were all in different stages of life and one of the guys was about to get engaged and I was about to wrap up uh, my master's degree and, and kind of move on from the school we were at and a few other guys were about to take jobs. And so we were all like, guys, let's just, let's, let's, go on an adventure. And um, for whatever reason, we just landed on this idea of riding our bicycles uh, across the country. And, and so that manifested into reality. So here's, here's my team. There were five of us and bless you, man, sheesh, sheesh. So there were, wow, it's been a minute since we've even had the sheesh choir in this building. Wow, what is that, 2020? Uh, that's been a minute. So 
uh, here's my team. There were five of us, and you may be looking for me and wondering, wait, are you in this picture? Somebody's got to take the picture, folks, okay? So your boy had the camera, and I'm like, I'm like pedaling and, and like trying to get it at the same time, all right? So I took the picture, but this is my team, all right? So we had this crazy idea. Let's ride bicycles. Uh, guys, I only have so many bless yous in my reservoir. I'm, I'm out, all right? If you sneeze, you don't get blessed for the rest of the night. We only... Uh, uh, so we had this idea, it seemed crazy at first, but then it manifested. So we decided let's ride bicycles um, across the country. It, it didn't end up being coast to coast, but it did end up being we wanted something grand. So we decided why not start in Florida and why not end in the northernmost state on the East Coast? Let's just go to Maine. Like that was the, the idea. And we ended up doing that for the summer of 2010 and the summer of 2011. So here's the thing though. We had never ridden uh, road bikes before. I, has anyone ridden a road bike? Now I'm not talking like a bicycle, like a huffy bicycle. I'm talking a road bike. All right, the tires are way skinnier, right? Like they're, they're so narrow and you think you have balance on a bicycle and then you realize you've been riding cruisers your whole life and you get on one of these and you're like, whoa, right? And the cleats that you wear clip into your pedals. Like your foot is permanently in there. And they do that so that you don't just have push down power, you have pull up power. So you're using your, your full leg to really gain momentum. Bless you, brother, man, bless you. I was out, but God gave me one more. Don't judge me, okay? And, and so uh, from Florida, from Jacksonville, Florida to Portland, Maine, we uh, endeavored on our journey and we pedaled every single mile of that journey on back roads, 1,600 plus miles over the course of the summer. So Florida into South Carolina, or Georgia rather, into Georgia, through Georgia into South Carolina, through, through our state, I waved at you guys even though I didn't know you yet, through our state, into North Carolina, into Virginia, into Pennsylvania, cutting up into New Jersey, or I guess Maryland came next, then New Jersey, then New York, and Vermont, Connecticut, all the way up into Maine. Every single mile we pedaled for those summers. It was a great adventure. And we ended, our finish line was this um, lighthouse up in Maine, the, the headlight lighthouse in Portland, Maine. It was great. And, um, we had a big celebration. It was awesome. Now, <clears throat> there were five of us, but let's just imagine for the sake of tonight, let's just imagine for the sake of tonight that there's a sixth person, okay? There is a sixth team member. This is imaginary. They don't exist, but let's just imagine they do. Can you pretend with me for a minute? Wow, man, hard crowd tonight, hard crowd. No, we can't, we don't have the mental capacity. It's been a week. All right, so let's just pretend there's a sixth team member. And let's pretend that uh, during the preliminary, uh, you know, getting ready for the trip, we went to go get fitted for our bikes. We were measured uh, how tall we were, how long our legs were, so that we could be fitted to frames and heat, uh, the, the height of the seat, thank you, <laughs> I almost said heat sight, but um, seat height and uh, handlebar height and all that. We got measured for all that and the radius of our tires and blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, we had to get the gear and jerseys and we had to coordinate where we were staying and we were calling people cold turkey uh, along the way and just explaining, hey, you don't know us, but we're five cyclists. Uh, would you mind hosting us <laughs> for the night? And sometimes people did. And it was awesome, man. But, but let's just imagine the sixth person was there with us the entire time and they got fitted for their bicycle and they even bought a bicycle and they got cleats and they got the helmet and they got the jersey and, and they went on a few practice rides. We did two practice rides before we launched. One was six miles, one was 18 miles. And we started to average 50 a day on the trip. We were like so ill-prepared for this trip. I can't even exaggerate that enough. But let's just pretend the sixth person even went on those practice rides, 
and was telling everybody that they were a part of the team. Like everybody they encountered, that sixth person would say, oh, I'm on a cycling team. And they would explain this trip. Oh, I'm part of a cycling team. And they would explain this trip. Oh, we're going cycling this summer. And they would talk about this trip. Yeah, I've been fitted. I've got the gear. I've got the stuff. Yeah. And they talk about this trip. And let's, let's just say that the first day of our trip down in Jacksonville, Florida, we're all standing on Sarasota Beach. The sixth person is there. We say our little prayer before we set out. And let's say the trip begins and five of us begin pedaling, but that sixth person does not. This imaginary sixth person does not pedal. Instead, they just stay there. They've got the bike, they've got the gear, they've got the jersey, they've got the look. They know the right people, they have the right friends, they have the right connection, but for whatever reason, they never start pedaling. And yet they continue to tell people, no, I'm a cyclist, I'm part of a team, we're going up the coast, I'm a cyclist. Now, 2010, 2011, this was kind of before like Instagram was a big deal. Like this is back, like MySpace, MySpace was dead, but I'm, it's not like that old, but Instagram wasn't really around that much yet. So we created like a little docu-series and there's um, like an eight-part series you can watch on YouTube. I think it's still there today, although it's kind of hard to find because believe it or not, no one really cared <laughs> about our lives. But, um, but we created a little docu-series. So let's just imagine the sixth person is going around telling people, no, you can, you can follow along with our journey in, in, in this little YouTube series. Like you can go and watch. And let's say the sixth person never actually pedaled their bike, but followed along with our journey through that YouTube series. And so they knew everywhere we went. They knew the people that we met. They knew the places that we stopped and they were able to talk about it. They never pedaled their bike, but they kept telling people, no, I'm part of the cycling team. And let's, let's just say that at the very end of the summer, when we were wrapping up this trip and we got to Portland, Maine, and we crossed the finish line at this lighthouse, let's say that sixth person was there. Let's just pretend. They had bought a plane ticket. They flew up to Maine. They were waiting on us there, dressed in their jersey and helmet and cleats and little spandex shorts and everything. And they have their bike there and they're there at the finish line. And they're telling everyone, yeah, this is my team. I'm part of this cycling team. I've been following along with these guys. They've been telling everyone that the entire summer. Now, if I were to look at you and ask you, do you think that sixth person is actually a part of the team? What would you tell me? And why would you say that? Because they didn't do anything. Okay, okay, but listen, they bought the gear. They bought the bike. They have the jersey. They have the helmet, the cleats, the spandex. I mean, what more, what more could you, they showed up at the starting line. They were in Sarasota Beach and they showed up at the finish line. They were in Portland. Okay, but I know, but they're telling everyone they're part of the team. But why? They followed along with the docu-series. I'm just saying, they've been telling everyone. So you're calling this person, you're saying this person's not true. They're inaccurate. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this question. Do you think they've been telling everyone I'm part of the team, follow along. You can check us out on YouTube. Like they've been first personing it. I don't know if that's a verb, but that's what they've been doing. Do you think they've had the same experience, that sixth person as the five? No. How, Blake, stop. <laughs> you think they really have sitting at home? They've had the same exact experience? Like logically, I, I don't even know how you'd get to that conclusion. No, they have not. <laughs> They have been at home. They have not been on the road. Like you could look, I, you could look at them. The, the team could look at them and say, hey man, do you know what it's like to be in triple digit heat 
in the dead summer and, having, and run out of water and, and not be able to fill up for hours? And that person would say, well, no, I don't know what that's like. The team could look at them and say, hey, do you know what it's like when they lay a freshly paven road and it's so new that your tires stick to it because the asphalt is fresh black and kind of melty and creates such a drag on your bike? And the person said, like, well, no, I don't know what that's like, but I'm part of the team. And you look at them and you'd be like, hey, do you know what it smells like when you get a whiff of fresh roadkill on the side of the road in the middle of the summer? Happens a lot. And the person was like, well, no, I don't know what that smells like, but I'm part of the team. And you look at them and you say, well, do you know what it smells like when, you know what fresh pine tar smells like when a logging truck passes you by at 60 miles an hour and the backdraft of it kind of traces you for a little bit. And they say, well, no, I don't know what that smells like. You look at me and you say, do you know what it's like when you pass by a yard without a fence and a dog runs out and chases your bikes for a while. Six guy would be like, no, I don't know what that's like. I'm telling you guys, it's very hard to kick a dog on a bike. I'm, it's just, it's a skill, it's an acquired skill. Yeah, you can unclip the mid, mid-ride, <laughs> all right? You look at the person and be like, man, do you, do you know what it's like when a car almost hits you and gets angry that you're on the road or when you fall and skin your knees and elbows or when you have to change a flat? And the sixth person would say, mm, no, I don't know what that's like, but man, you know, I'm a cyclist. And you'd look at them and be like, but dude, you're not. You're not. Like, you're at the starting line and maybe you're at the finish line, but, but you, you followed along with our journey, but you missed out on the journey. You followed along, but you didn't actually follow. You guys know what I'm saying? And for many of us, if we go back to that John 10, 10 principle, I feel like, I feel like, so many Christians that I've encountered over the years are that sixth teammate. Like, we claim faith in Jesus. You're at the starting line. You were there. You bought all the gear. You have all the gear. Like, your auntie and your mom and your Uncle Jimmy, they've bought you a Bible every year for Christmas. You've got every translation under the sun. You've got a highlighter set that could put a rainbow to shame. Like, you've got all the gear. You've got all the books People have bought you gentle and lowly. People have bought you ruthless elimination of hurry. People have bought you crazy love. Chicken soup for the teenage soul. That's a little throwback for the older people in the room. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's where I found my purpose in life. Like you've got, you've got the gear. You've got the gear. And truly, we talked about this last week, if you believe in Jesus, I do think there are some transactionary things that happen in that moment of belief. I, I do think you're forgiven of your sins, you're adopted into the family, you're filled with the Spirit, you have eternity with Jesus. I believe those things are true. But as we talked about last week, you're not experiencing the life he offers. I think there are so many Christians that have the gear, that know the people, that, that, that follow along, but they're not actually following Jesus. They've never actually turned the pedals over. They have the right look, they claim to be on the team. Oh yeah, I'm a cyclist. And maybe they are, but they're not actually doing anything with it. And if you were to ever ask that sixth member, man, do you feel like your experience was the same? And they'd be like, well, no. I, how do these guys talk about cycling the way they do? It's so vivid and descriptive and they've got all these stories. And I'm a cyclist and I don't experience any of that. And you would look at the sixth person and you'd say, yeah, it's because you're never on the road. You don't actually pedal. You just show up places. Now hear me, I'm not, I'm not trying to disqualify your faith or your salvation of any of that. I, I think there are people who believe in Jesus and will be at the finish line, so to speak. But what I'm trying to get at is, I think there is an incredible life that awaits you in the here and now. And I think Jesus offers this life to you. 
And I think many, many, many of us will never experience it, ever, because we simply follow along but never follow. We claim to be, but we're never actually on the journey. In other words, we believe in Jesus here with our brains, but we never actually adopt his lifestyle. We never sit in the saddle. We never pedal the pedals. We never get on the road. And, it, and then we wonder, like, why does this not seem enlivening and vivid and, and descriptive? Like, why do, why do other people seem like they're experiencing so much joy and peace and contentment in this life? And how come I'm not? And it's like, dude, it is so much more than saying you believe in Jesus and showing up to a building once a week. I think there is a wonderful, beautiful, colorful life waiting for you, right now waiting for you. And it's yours for the taking, but it's your choice if you're actually gonna experience it or not. And it all comes down to participation. I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm, I'm just talking about experiencing the life Jesus offers. It comes through embracing the lifestyle Jesus modeled. So the question is, are you living the life he modeled? And so this whole series is getting to that idea of practicing the way of Jesus. And tonight we're gonna look at one of those practices that I believe our master Jesus modeled. And I think it's probably the hardest and most difficult maybe for our generation uh, to engage with. And that's why I wanted to start with it. Like why not start with the hardest one in my opinion? So let's, let's uh, get into it tonight. The, 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 the spiritual practice we're gonna look at tonight is silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. So think about your generation for a minute. Like how often do you experience real and true silence on a regular basis? And, and not even silence. I'm not talking about accidental silence. I'm talking about intentional silence. Maybe you find yourself like, ooh, it's quiet today. I'm not talking about accidental. I'm talking about intentional silence. How often do you carve that out in your life? Truthfully, ever? Probably not. And silence is more than external. Like, I don't just mean like, oh, you put on noise-canceling headphones. Good for you, man. That's silence. Way to go. I'm, there is a, there's an external silence, but then there's a silence of the soul, too. There's an internal silence. Do you know in a recent study, they discovered that the average attention span, this is <laughs> terrible, the average attention span of the modern person that lives in our country, any guesses? Average attention span. It's more than three. It's more than three. Uh, I don't know why I opened it up. A thousand seconds. It is eight seconds. Just over, eight, like 8.2, something like that. So more than three, less than 10. So it's eight seconds. And if you think about it, like think how, like at first you may, nah, dude. But if, if I were to say, let's just pause for a minute. Let's take 60 seconds to sit in silence and solitude. Well, not solitude because we're here, but sit in silence. It would be about eight seconds before a next thought entered your mind. Like it's not, it's not simply where you wanna set your attention. It's, it's fighting silence in here. Like think about how conditioned we are through this thing right here. And there's a lot of benefits to technology. There's a lot of benefits to this thing. But we, we have been conditioned over years. Like you guys realize you were born into this. 2006, 2007 is when Steve Jobs launched the first iPhone. All right, you get, like this is, you grew up with it. And, and app developers have created systems that are intentionally uh, created to hold you there, to distract you. Like they do not have your best interests in mind. I don't know if you realize that, but the creators of Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram, believe it or not, <laughs> like they, they don't necessarily care about your morals. They care about your attention. And so they've created apps that if you get bored with what you're seeing, which happens quickly, all you have to do is just shoop, simple stroke with a finger. And now you're introduced to a whole new thing. And if you get bored with that, shoop. And maybe you even get passive with it. You're like, oh, dude, I don't even, 
I'm not even gonna swipe. Maybe you just let it run. And if you're on TikTok, man, you watch that for however long it's made, 60 seconds top, you don't even have to touch it. Now it just auto swipes, right? It goes right to the next video. Like it is designed to keep your attention by rapidly changing the content you see. And so the art of silence and solitude is not just a lost art. I think for many in our generation, for your generation, it's not even a discovered art yet. To intentionally be in silence and to intentionally withdraw from people and activity, intentionally, is a lost art, is, a, is an undiscovered art. It is incredibly difficult. So I think, I heard Siri, <laughs> who is doing this during this message. I think oftentimes we kind of misdiagnose ourselves, right? Like how many of you, when you start feeling sick, sick you Google like symptoms, you put symptoms into Google, WebMD, stuff like that? Anyone? Or maybe Siri. Hey, Siri, this is how I feel right now. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> turns out I'm gonna die tomorrow. Like, so I think we misdiagnose ourselves a lot. And here's what I mean. This weekend, uh, my family was hit with a stomach bug, which if you know me, you know is like, I have a phobia about throwing up, man. I, I will have the mouth sweats and literally choke it back. I will not throw, I hate throwing up. My family had a stomach bug and um, my, my middle son, Gray, Friday night between midnight and 5 a.m. was throwing up. Um, sorry if that, sorry, Gabby. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll move on quickly, but he was sick. Now let's just pretend for a second. So here's what we did. Saturday, he threw up all night, uh, Friday and all morning. Saturday morning, if you guys have ever had a stomach bug, you know this, you have to reintroduce food and drink slowly. Like Saturday morning is not the time for a big hearty breakfast after he's been throwing up through the night, right? So we introduced a few sips of water, a couple bites of a saltine cracker. I wanna see how that sits on his belly. So we did that and let it sit. And then after a little bit, now we're giving him some carbonated water. We call it spicy water in our home, but some carbonated water and a few more bites of cracker. See how that sits. And then a little bit later, some Powerade. And then I forget, something, something bland or toast. It was toast and see how that sits. And by dinner, we had oatmeal, right? But we worked up to that. But let's just pretend for a second, Friday night happened, midnight to 5 a.m. And I call you guys up, because you guys are experts at taking care of kids. And I call you up and I'm like, hey, I don't know what to do. What should I give my son for breakfast Saturday morning? He's been throwing up all night. And what if you were to tell me, oh dude, I got it. Some thick sausage gravy laying over some big old buttery biscuits, right? And then someone else chimes in and is like, dude, that sounds pretty good. Maybe some like sausage casserole, heavy on the cheese and cream. While you're at it, have him chug some chocolate milk. I bet that would help his stomach settle. Things like that. Don't forget the apple butter. That's important. Eggs over easy. Make sure they're runny. All that, all that type of stuff. And if I were to take your advice and I were to have given my son that, what do you think would happen? <laughs> <laughs> the, the extension, the extension of throwing up would have continued. But here's my point, here's my point, is so often, so often, we are perceptive enough about ourselves to understand something is not working. Something is not working in my soul. I am lonely, I am sad, I am empty, I'm not fulfilled, I'm not content. I pretend to be, I put on a great facade, I've got a lot of bravado. When I'm around my bros, I act like I'm all tough. But the reality is I am fragile and insecure and brittle. I am hurting. I worry about what people think. 
I never truly feel happy. I fake it. I distract myself constantly. I'm short with people. I'm moody. I'm cranky. I have bad attitudes. I blame it on being hungry. But the reality is, even if I were full, I would still think this way about people. Something is not working in my soul. And we know that about ourselves and we misdiagnose. We think to ourselves, well, what do I need? I tell you what I need. I should probably binge watch Netflix tonight. I bet that'll help me feel better. That'll fill the hole that I'm feeling. Or I tell you, I, I, I tell you what I need. I, I'm feeling kind of lonely. I don't know, just kind of blah in life. I bet, if I, I bet if I got on TikTok tonight before bed, that would like fill me up in the way that I'm needing. That would, that would help my soul. I'm only gonna spend 20 minutes. In reality, it'll be one or 2 a.m. before you get off. We all know, we've all been there. Don't lie. Man, my soul is aching. I'm just feeling so empty and depleted. Maybe I should just try another relationship without even really getting to know that person first. Just jump in, see how it works. Maybe that'll help this time. Hasn't ever helped, but let's try this time, right? Like if I were to look at you and say, my son's been throwing up all night, what should he eat? You would never prescribe to me, you should give him the heartiest, thickest breakfast you possibly can. And yet, when we realize that something in our soul is sick, we fill ourselves with so much junk and expect our soul to all of a sudden stop aching and feel better and feel full and healthy. You will never, ever experience the life Jesus offers of peace and contentment and joy. You will never experience that as your reality if you never embrace the lifestyle he modeled. And one of the things Jesus modeled regularly was this discipline of silence and solitude. Not distracting yourself when you feel kind of bored. Not diverting your attention when you feel a little bit apathetic in life. Not trying to fill yourself with, with spiritual junk food, so to speak. But actually remaining in the dead space of silence and solitude before the Lord. So let's look at a couple of places tonight. I just want to glance in the scriptures and just kind of see how Jesus did this. And look at the habit, the spiritual habit, the practice that Jesus had in his life. We're gonna start first in Matthew chapter four. A Little bit of context, at the very end of Matthew three, Jesus is baptized. And if you know that story, when Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven begins to erupt. A voice speaks out of the heavenly spaces. It's the Father, it's God the Father. And he says, behold, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then out of heaven, this dove descends right down on Jesus symbolically showing that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has anointed and land on this person. John the Baptist, his cousin, has already declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is an incredible moment. The Trinity is present all at once, very rare moment, Father, Son, and Spirit, all in one. That's the tail end of three. Now, Jesus is about to begin his public ministry. And a little bit of culture uh, facts for you. In that culture, if you were going to be a rabbi or if you were going to be a teacher, you typically became a public teacher at the age of 30. And Jesus is submitting to the customs and cultures of his day. He's 30, he's about to begin his public ministry. In other words, he's about to start traveling and teaching the word of God and doing miracles. The legs of the gospel are the word of God and the works of God, and he's about to start that as a 30-year-old. And as a rabbi, he's about to call younger people the disciples were teenagers. They were not middle-aged men. They were teenagers, 14, 15, 16-year-old. Jesus is about to call them to follow him and adopt his lifestyle and then replicate that lifestyle. It's the birth of our faith. 
And so he's about to start that at the age of 30. And coming out of his baptism, you would think it would be one to the other. Like Jesus is baptized, the voice of God says, this is my son, the spirit of God comes down. Everyone's seeing it, there's witnesses galore. Jesus has like this, it's the peak of, of kind of like his status in that moment, like whoa, the son of God anointed with the spirit is among us. And you would think Jesus would go right from there into public ministry. And what does Jesus do? He withdraws into silence and solitude. Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one. After his baptism, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry as we all would be. And the tempter came and said to him, if, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're gonna pause there. This is not a, a sermon about the temptations of Jesus. All I wanna point out tonight is the model of Jesus. Like Jesus retreated and withdrew into the wilderness. Now this word, wilderness, it can be translated a number of different ways. And sometimes it's called the desolate place. Sometimes it's called uh, wilderness like we have here. Sometimes it's called the deserted place. Oftentimes it's known as the lonely place. And when we imagine Jesus going there and fasting, intentionally restraining himself from eating for 40 days, when you think about that for a minute, he goes to a lonely place and begins to fast. We imagine it kind of like the desert, like, Sahara Desert, but, but um, it, this area had a lot of like uh, cliffs and those cliffs were filled with um, caves and caverns and a system of tunnels linking them. And so Jesus could retreat and withdraw during the heat of the day. He wasn't like getting baked all day, every day. But the point is it was a lonely place. Jesus was by himself in caves and cliffs and caverns and wilderness and deserted place. And at the end of those 40 days, Satan comes up to him and tempts him to eat. Misuse your power, turn these stones into bread, feed yourself. And Jesus responds with, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus knew there's a different kind of food that's feeding me right now. Like think about this for a minute. If we had a, a, a hypothetical case study, a hypothetical scenario, like let's just say, Let's just say someone has been trying to become an influencer on social media for a long time. They've been posting TikToks every day. They've been posting reels every day. They've been doing their work. They've been doing their homework. They're, they're getting the right hashtags. They got the crowd engagement. They're, they're interacting with at least nine comments per post, whatever the algorithm is that, that those things look for. Like they're, they're going. Let's just say this person has been striving to be an influencer and they posted one video and overnight it went viral. Like, one, not, not just viral, but one of those crazy viral. Like, it had more publicity and attention than Island Boys. You know what I'm saying? Like, just crazy for no, <laughs> I'm not even gonna sing, for no reason at all. 
It just blew up overnight. And this person wakes up and they've got millions of followers. They've got tons of attention. People are reposting and, and retweeting and, and um, doing like mirror TikToks and all sorts of stuff with their posts. Like everybody is beginning to take notice of this person and they've been striving to be an influencer. And now all of a sudden they've got the reach. They've got the scope. Everybody's tuning in. Everyone wants to hear what they're gonna put out. Everyone wants to hear even more from them. And let's just say in that moment, this person decides Instead of making another video, I think I'm gonna fast from social media for 40 days. Like, what if that were the strategy? And you would look at them and you'd be like, that's dumb, that's stupid. Like, like strike while the iron's hot. Like, right now is when you've got attention. Right now is when people are paying attention to you and you've got reach and you've got scope and you've got influence. This is when you need to make more videos. And the person says, nah, I think I'm gonna fast for 40 days from social media. You would look at them like, that's so dumb. You're going to lose it all. You're going to lose all your momentum. And yet here's Jesus. The voice of God from heaven says, this is my son. Pay attention to him. I'm pleased in him. This is him. And the spirit of God, everyone with me now. Thank you. The spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. He is marked as distinctly different. This is God in the flesh. Like think about, you're, you're in the crowd. This is God in the flesh. And you would think in that moment, you would expect, Jesus is about to blow up the scene. And instead, he retreats. For the next 40 days, no one sees him. We think so differently than Jesus. Our strategy is so different than Jesus. Because Jesus knew, I used, to, I used to look at this passage as kind of like Jesus is preparing for his public ministry, which he was. And at the end of the 40 days, when he's at his most vulnerable, Satan comes up and tempts, tempts him. And he does, and I think that's true. And it's kind of like, man, that's just like Satan, isn't it? Waiting until we're at our weakest point. What a dog. But recently I was introduced to a different perspective, which is this. What if Jesus, although at his weakest physically, what if Jesus was at his strongest spiritually? Like what if it was the 40 days of loneliness, of silence and solitude that actually prepared him to resist the temptations of the devil himself? Like what if Jesus wasn't at his most frail and weak moment? What if he's actually retreating in silence and solitude to grow in strength spiritually? Like what if we began to see it that way? Another passage, Mark chapter one, verse 35. Jesus has been teaching, he's been doing miracles, he's been traveling around. Verse 35, and very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed into a desolate place, to a departed place, into the wilderness, into a lonely place. And he prayed. Simon and those who were searching for him, they found him and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. Like imagine that, Jesus is being sought out after. People are sick, people need miracles, people need help, they wanna hear the teachings of Jesus. He's got a very limited time on earth. You would think he would make himself the most available possible and what does he do? He withdraws into silence and solitude. It's almost like Jesus experiencing the full effect of humanity is modeling to us, if you wanna live your human life to the fullest extent imaginable, you must understand that the more you put out, the more culture demands of you, the more pressure is put on you, you have to begin to create rhythms of withdrawing into the presence of God with nothing but silence. Like the axes of Jesus are amazing. 
the more in demand he was, the more he began to retreat. So opposite of how we think, of how we think about influencers in our culture, celebrities in our culture. The more people wanted Jesus, the harder he was to find. Why? Because he was withdrawing. Because man does not live on bread alone. There's a spiritual food that we need and it is found through silence and solitude with the Father. So here's kind of our working definition of silence and solitude for tonight. Silence and solitude is intentionally, uh, to intentionally withdraw, to be alone and silent with ourselves and God. To intentionally withdraw, to be alone and silent with ourselves and God. How hard is this for us? We don't like to do this. Have you ever tried to be alone, like truly alone, intentionally alone? Introverts in the room are like, yeah, dude, every day. Like, <laughs> I don't see what the problem is. But I mean like, don't bring your phone, don't bring your Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you listen to. Don't bring your earphones, don't bring your games. Don't even bring like a journal, just bring yourself and let silence be your friend and sit there. And man, get yourself far enough away from traffic and noise and people that it's not easy to go back. Just sit there and you will find one of the most terrifying experiences of your life. Your brain will begin to go down pathways and you'll start to have to deal with emotions, things you've covered up, things you've buried deep in your soul will just flood to your brain. And it is because for the first time in a long time, you have turned off the white noise of the world and you are actually having to deal with your emotions, you're, ha you're having to deal with reality. And you might say, why would I ever do that? That seems terrifying. It is only through doing that that you will actually begin to heal from those things. It is when you muster the courage to face those things, not distract yourself, not run away, but face them, that you will actually begin to conquer them through the presence of God. But it's terrifying. I know they're a little bit outdated, but back in the day, 21 Pilots was a band that was Pretty dope. I know they've released some new stuff lately. I don't know how popular they are with you guys, but like eight years ago or so, man, they were on the rise. They were, they were awesome. They had this one song. It's one of my favorites they, they put out. It's called Car Radio. And the whole premise of the song is that someone stole their car radio. And here's some of the lyrics. I have these thoughts, so often I ought, if you know the song, you're gonna wanna sing it. So often I ought to replace that slot with what I once bought. He's talking about the radio that was stolen because somebody stole my car radio. And now in the car, I just sit in silence. I ponder of something terrifying because this time there's no sound to hide behind. I find over the course of our human existence, one thing consists of consistence and it's that we're all battling fear. Oh dear, I don't know if we know why we're here. Oh my, too deep, please stop thinking. I liked it better when my car had sound. It's a profound song that talks about what we're talking about that we distract ourselves with noise and images and reels and TikToks and Snapchats and how long is our streak. We do not deal with the pain in our life. We don't invite the presence of the Father into those wounds. We have no idea how to face the insecurities of our life because we have been conditioned, last eight seconds and move your thoughts along. Last eight seconds and move your thoughts along. And this song captures this idea that when I'm actually forced to be in silence, like when the sound was actually stolen out of my car, now I have to deal with what is real and it is terrifying. I liked it better when I could hide behind my sound. We don't like the idea of silence and solitude because we know that in practicing this, these things, we will actually have to deal 
with thoughts and emotions and hurts and pains and broken relationships. And we'll actually have to hear what God has to say about those things and speak into those things. Last story, last story. Uh, I was talking to my wife uh, about tonight's sermon, about tonight's message. I was running some thoughts by her and she said this to me. I've been married to her um, nine and a half years. We dated for three years before that. I've known her over a decade. She said this to me. She goes, do you know that silence and solitude is like the biggest thing that changed my life? And I was like, what? You've never told me this. She's like, no, I have. I was like, you haven't. I would have remembered. She's like, no, 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 I have. I was like, no, you haven't. But she said, um, I, I have permission to share this about my wife. Um, my wife grew up in a pastor's home. Her dad is an incredible man. Loves Jesus, incredible guy. Raised an incredible family. Um, has become a father to me, obviously, because I married in. But my wife had some rebellious tendencies growing up. She's one of those typical, uh, like, my dad's a pastor. I hate pastors, right? Like, she vowed to never marry uh, a guy that was gonna go into ministry. Holla at your boy. <laughs> like, it, she was just so rebellious. Um, but not just in her, like, pride of, like, I hate all people in ministry. She was also rebellious in her actions. She, she ran for a long time from Jesus, and especially in college. And... Um, after graduation, someone bought her a book that was called Invitation to Silence and Solitude for her college graduation gift. And she looked at the book. She was so annoyed. She's like, oh, someone got me a Christian book. Like, just had that ratty attitude, right? And she said that for whatever reason, she just began to read that book. And then she began to practice what the book talked about, to get alone, to withdraw, to be in the presence of the Father just with yourself in silence. She describes that practice as the most life-changing thing in her life and the thing that brought her into a thriving relationship with Jesus, that practice of silence and solitude. In fact, if you look over the past few thousand years of our faith, some of the best teachers of our faith would describe, if you're gonna do one spiritual practice, one thing, this is the most important one. And you can disagree with that. You can be like, oh, Bible reading is more important. That's fine, disagree. I'm just telling you, over the past 2,000 years, the spiritual teachers of our faith have described silence and solitude as the most life-changing and important one. And yet, it's probably the most elusive. We don't like to do it. It's scary. And so you may be wondering, well, where do I start, bro? Where do I start? I've got three great ideas for you tonight. Three takeaways of how to apply silence and solitude. The first would be, just start where you're at. Like for some of you in the room, you know yourselves. Some of you guys create lofty, ambitious goals and you never meet them. I tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go on a prayer retreat every weekend in February. Okay, if you know you're not gonna do that, don't set that as a goal, all right? Think about your New Year's resolutions. Are you still doing those? Like, are you disciplined enough to do those? If not, go small, all right? So here's what I mean. Start where you're at. What this could look like to begin with is literally when you wake up in the morning, let your first thought be to the Father. Like lay in bed for one minute. I know you're gonna be like, I'm gonna fall back asleep. I, I get it. Maybe just get on your knees or something. But posture yourself and just, just like focus your mind on the Father. You're gonna be like, well, dude, how do I even do that? Just start where you're at. 30 seconds, just start small. Start where you're at. Or maybe you just, I don't know, 10 minutes this week. You're like, all right, I'm gonna carve 10 minutes out of my Wednesday morning or my Saturday morning or whatever. And I'm just gonna try to do this thing. I don't even know what it looks like, but I'm gonna try to do it. Just start where you're at, start small, be realistic with your goals. Second thing I would advise you guys is this, leave the phone. Don't bring your phone. But Matt, I need to time myself. No, you don't. 
But Matt, I, I wanna let others know that I'm doing this great spiritual practice so it inspires them to do it. Just me and the Father. Instagram, no. It's not just you and the Father. It's you and the Father and the entire world. Leave the phone behind. Detach, detox from this device. There's a ton of pros to it. There are unbelievable cons. It, it is toxic to the ways of our soul in so many ways. Leave it behind. Leave it in your room and go to the backyard. Leave it in your room and drive across town. Find a park. Oh, how will I get there without GPS? Go old school, okay? There are ways. MapQuest, print out directions, all right? In 0.5 miles, take a right, all right? Leave the phone behind. Do not bring this along with you in your silence and solitude. But Matt, I need background music. No, you don't. <laughs> that defeats silence, okay? Just leave it behind. Third thing I would say is this, persist through the awkwardness. I do wanna recognize it will be awkward. If you're like, I've never done this. I have no idea what this is about. I don't even know how to do this. You will literally, for your first few times, you'll, you'll sit there and you'll be like, like, what is supposed to happen? Like, angel, come talk to me? I don't know. What is supposed to happen? Your mind will be racing. You'll be like, oh man, this weekend I have this responsibility. Oh, next weekend I gotta do that. Man, when school starts back, oh, squirrel. And like, you'll be going a mile a minute. You will have no idea how to settle your brain because guess what? You've never actually practiced settling your brain. You've only distracted your brain. Persist through the awkwardness, trust the process. And I promise you, you will begin to discover some of the sweetest moments you could possibly imagine that settle your soul, that bring peace to your anxiety, that bring clarity to your purpose, that actually put you on the road and actually get you pedaling, that you're actually experiencing the life Jesus offered because you're practicing the lifestyle Jesus modeled. If we say that we believe in Jesus and we claim that he offers the best life possible, if we fall short of actually applying the lifestyle, then we're actually saying we don't believe that's the best life. Like if we knew that's the best life possible, we would do this all the time. I know it's gonna be awkward. Persist through the awkwardness. Participate in the journey. Try it out. What have you got to lose? Start where you're at, start small, be realistic. Leave the phone behind, persist through the awkward. Start to apply the practice of silence and solitude to your life. Give it time and I promise you, you will begin to find settled soul. You'll begin to find filled soul. You'll begin to crave it, crave it. You'll literally be sitting there being like, should I get on TikTok now? No, dude, I'm gonna go and spend some time with the Father in silence. <laughs> People be like, you're weird. I know, it's the best life. <laughs> Try it out. See what happens. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the model. You came as, um, you came as God in the flesh, Jesus, but you also came to show us the full ex extent of what it means to be a human. And what you modeled was that the busier our life gets and the more demand we have on us, the more we should be retreating into silence and solitude, away from people, away from noise, and simply being with the Father. Jesus, it's gonna be awkward, it's gonna be scary. Thoughts will come that we won't know how to deal with. Emotions will come that we don't want to deal with. But that is where healing begins to happen. Jesus, would you help us cultivate this discipline so that we begin to experience the life that you offer, life to the fullest, settled soul, filled soul. 
not worried, not anxious, not going from thing to thing to thing, but a focused mind and a settled soul. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name, through the power of your spirit, amen.